You take your time. I'll read mine first and you can get there. Okay, 20, 29 what? Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. Okay, you go first. And uh, so, yeah, we're doing seasons. Ecclesiastic. Oh! Now they want now us up here. They want, yeah. up here. they want us up here. Now they want us. This is good, bro. This you is want good. me to go first? No, I'll go first. Okay. okay, you go first. So if you are looking in Scripture, we're looking at Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 2. I'm not even looking up there anymore. No. We're, we're here now. <laughs> we'll pretend. All right, let's read this. We'll read this together. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Oh, okay, okay. I'm back on here. From Jeremiah. Here we go. (laughs) This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that's in your word. Thank you for the encouragement that's in your word and the correction that's in your word. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you you have your way with us this morning. May we be more equipped, uh, more conformed into your likeness today. Give us greater revelations of you and whatever you have in store for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. And thanks again, Joel. Thank you. Thank you, brother. That's a picture of my dad. That's Gene, Gene Preby. He is 82 years old, and he loves to garden. I've learned a lot from my dad. Uh, ever since I was a teeny tiny little guy, I was in my dad's garden. He was teaching me about how to plant, how to weed. I probably wasn't a good weeder. Now that I have kids, I understand that I probably didn't do as much as he was hoping I would do when it came to weeding the garden. But my dad and I, we have conversations uh, all the time. There, he and my stepmom, Phyllis, are in Arkansas, up in Rogers, Arkansas. And uh, we have conversations on the phone. And whatever literal season we're in, uh, we're talking about gardening. We talk about a few other things. We talk about gardening. We talk about fishing. We talk about our families, and we talk about the Lord. We have some great conversations. But whatever season we're in, we're talking about gardening. So if it's fall, we're talking about putting our gardens to rest. You put your garden to rest as you get your compost on it, and your, your leaves, or your grass clippings. Uh, wintertime gets, starts to get exciting. What have, you, what have you ordered? Have you ordered anything different this year? Any seeds this year to put in the garden? You going to try anything different? going to experiment? Springtime, of course. How's your dirt looking? 
Woo, how are the, how are the worms? Oh, we got good worms this year. Ah, good stuff. What, what's coming up? What's, what's germinating? Summertime. What are you, what are you harvesting? You got, what'd you have for dinner tonight? Anything out of your garden? How are your cukes looking? How are your tomatoes looking? Mm, mm, mm. There's a time to plant. In Tennessee, we're in zone seven, so there's a literal time to plant certain things. I like to experiment. Typically, in, in Tennessee, in this region, you plant sugar snap peas in mid-March. I thought one year I'd try to plant them in mid-February. Wild. Wild guy. Plant them in mid-February. So I put a whole row in in mid-February, and they started to, they germinated, started to grow. February, I wanted to do a good experiment, so I put another row when I was supposed to in, mid, in mid-March. Those started to grow too, and it was crazy. The ones I planted in March quickly caught up to the ones I planted in February, and they both started putting out peas at the exact same time. There's a time to plant. April 15, ooh, tax day, but more importantly to those that like to garden, Average last frost in, in Tennessee, in this region. So if you're going to put out tomatoes, you better wait till after April 15. Or you're asking for trouble. If you get a frost, it's going to zap them. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to uproot what has been planted. And I tell you what, I've been gardening a long time, and this is one of the hardest things for me to do, is this time to uproot. This year, we have had an, an exorbitant amount of volunteer tomatoes coming up in our garden. That just means... They're coming up on their own, <laughs> coming up on their own from last year's crops. They just, some have fallen to the ground. And uh, they are like weeds everywhere. And we're pulling them out, ripping them up. It's so hard to do, especially tomatoes. I mean, there's, there's two things that money can't buy. And that's true love and homegrown tomatoes. <laughs> mm. Amen. Uh, but it's, it's our garden, and we understand that if we let these tomatoes just grow, they're going to crowd out our cucumbers, they're going to crowd out our kale and our bok choy and our radishes, crowd out each other. So you have to uproot them, transplant some, or just really uproot them. So today I'll be talking to you about a group of people that were uprooted from their homeland and transplanted for a season to another city. Talking about the Babylonian exile in 587 BC, a long time ago, under uh, the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar over Babylon. He took thousands of people, uprooted thousands of people from Jerusalem and marched them 1,700 miles to Babylon. And within that year's time, the Babylonian regime had totally destroyed Jerusalem, the, the, the homes, the businesses, and probably most importantly, the temple that they served in, the temple where they offered their sacrifices, totally destroyed. And to kind of put things into perspective, it's like us, if we were here in Smyrna and a regime came from 1,700 miles away, Today, we're going to say they came from the west, because if they came from 1,700 miles from the east, they'd be coming out of the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. 
1,700 miles from the west. Just kind of picture it, if you will. All of us, or a majority of us, being marched across the country through the desert and planted in a different city. 1,700 miles west would roughly put us in Las Vegas. Mm. Yeah, pretty good correlation. I, got friend, I have friends in Vegas, but it's a different culture. It's a different kind of a city. It's a Babylon. So imagine we've marched all the way across now to Vegas. We're, we're not home anymore. It doesn't feel like home. They're serving different gods under a different regime. But God, through the prophet Jeremiah, tells his people how to live in Jeremiah 29. He says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The people basically had three choices on how to live in Babylon. They could have just said, hey, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. They could have lived like that. We're in Babylon now. We're in a different land. Let's just Let's forget about our identity as God's children and God's followers. Let's just worship the gods they worship. Let's live like them. Let's just fully assimilate. Or they could have just huddled up together and said, let's, let's not interact with the people of Babylon or interact as little as possible anyway and restore our relationship with God. But God says, no, I, I want you to kind of smash those together. I have a, a better plan for you. I want you to live life amongst the Babylonians. I want you to lay down some literal roots. I want you to plant gardens, have a, build homes, have families, increase. While restoring this relationship, cry out to me. Come back to me. Let's grow again. And out of this uh, exile period that we're talking about this morning, we have some beautiful stories. The book of Daniel is out of this exile period. So if you're looking at Scripture and you see the book of Daniel, now you, you can go, this is out of this exile season of 70 years. Uh, incredible stories come out of the book of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, goodness gracious. The same King Nebuchadnezzar that exiled them, that marched them across the, the land, Builds this huge uh, idol, has all the dignitaries coming to to the city that day, and he says, "I'm going to have you all bow down before this idol, and if you don't, don't embarrass me. If you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into this fire." And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living this out: how God told them how to live, how to respect the authorities how to interact with the Babylonians, how to keep their relationship with God. 
So it comes time to bow down to this idol. And if it were me, probably, I probably would have said, God, you know we're good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow down. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I'll be talking to you. I'm not going to be talking to the idol there. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, good gracious. They said, no, we got to draw a line here. Finish the season on how this is how we fight our battles. They didn't fight kicking and screaming with humility. They said, we can't do this. And listen to their faith. They said, our God can save us from that fiery furnace. And then they ratcheted up even more. And this is me personally. I think it takes more faith to say what they said next. But if he doesn't, he is still sovereign. We sang about that this morning. He's sovereign over us through the fire and through the flood. He is sovereign. He is in, in control. The same King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, I won't tell you how the story ends in case you haven't read it yet. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Go check it out in, in the book of Daniel. The same King Nebuchadnezzar is full of himself this one point in time in the story. He says, look what I've done. Look what I've built. I'm king of the world. And God comes tapping on his shoulder and says, you, you, you think you did all this? You think you're in control? And he's, he uproots King Nebuchadnezzar from his, from his throne as king and plants him in a field for a season for seven years. And he becomes like a beast of the field, eating grass on all fours. For seven years, I think I would have probably got the point, maybe in a day or two. But for some reason, he wanted King Nebuchadnezzar there for seven years. And this is what King Nebuchadnezzar says after the seven years have passed. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back His hand. Or say to him, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. God is sovereign and he does what he pleases. The psalmist echoes this. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on earth, in the seas and all their depths. It's a beautiful thing that we serve a God that is sovereign and he does whatever he pleases. And it's, that can be a, a thing that, that grows a holy fear in us that the God of all universe can still do whatever he pleases. And the flip side of that coin is that God that does whatever he pleases chooses to do things chooses to use circumstances for the good of the people that love him and are called according to his purposes. He chooses to do things that are good for the kingdom. 
And that should give us some great comfort. God does what he pleases, but he does things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. So back to our Babylonian exile story. Why were they exiled in the first place? And who, who really did this? Well, again, in Scripture, there's uh, another story of God's kids starting to slowly forget what God has brought them through. And they, before this, years before this, made it to the promised land. And God said, now let's, let's stay tight. Keep relationship here. This, this place is yours. You prosper here. But they slowly forgot and they started serving other gods. So God in his sovereignty, and because he's a good, good father, chose to use this time to draw his kids back to him. A time of correction. Time of getting their attention. He could have just said, I've had enough with you guys. I've had enough. Just, you know, self-destruct then. But he didn't. That's the God we serve that cares so much about us. That he will do what it takes to draw us back to him. If only we'd be willing and open, flexible to answer to his call. And who did this? We said King Nebuchadnezzar did, but if you caught some of the scripture that we've read this morning, let's read it again. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. These are some fruit trees at our place out in Rockvale. Uh, we had some dear friends come to visit us a few weeks back uh, from Spain. We went to visit them in Madrid last year, and uh, they came to visit us, Mel and Tanya Kalingo. They're missionaries over there. Mel is originally from the Philippines, and Tanya is from Austria. They brought their kids with them, and they brought Tanya's folks with them, Mr. and Mrs. Fritz from Austria. They hadn't met them before. And they don't speak much English, English whatsoever. I don't uh, speak any German other than nine and <laughs> octoon. Um, those words didn't really get me very far with our conversations about trees. But we had a, a beautiful time together. First of all, they walked our land here and were praying for our land and praying for our fruit trees, blessing our fruit trees. Mr. Fritz has a, a history of working in uh, orchards. And he and I were just out there together. And he's telling me in German about how to train these fruit trees. And I'm nodding like I understand everything he's saying to me. But he gets paper out and is drawing pictures. And he says, these trees want to grow like this. They want to grow upright. But if we take a the time and for a season or two, we attach some weights to, the, to some of the select limbs or to some of the, uh, or to attach some rocks to them. We can pull them on out this way, and for a season or two, that'll teach them to stay like that for a few different reasons. It's easier to pick the fruit for us. Don't, he, said, he drew a picture of a ladder. No, don't need a ladder <laughs> if we do it this way. It helps airflow to go into the tree, so it decreases chance of uh, fungus or mildew on the tree. And maybe most importantly, it exposes the fruit more to the sunlight. So you get a better harvest, sweeter fruit 
by exposing it to the sun. So we're trying it out. I've hit my head on that rock several times. <laughs> I'm a slow learner. I'm sure my neighbor laughs at me every time I go hit my head on that thing. But for a season, we're training our trees. See what Scripture says about the correction of the Lord. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as fathers addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the, fathers of, the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I'm not saying everything that is painful that you go through is a discipline of the Lord. Please hear me clearly. That there's some wisdom in, in, involved in that. There's some crying out to God. Is this a discipline? But I'd, I want to point out that, that that is an option. That is a possibility. If you're going through something, cry, is this, are, you, are you trying to teach me something, Lord? I want to learn if you're trying to teach me something. Sometimes all we want is the encouragement that comes from the Lord and the encouragement that comes from God's Word. But are we open enough to say, I want to grow? I, I want to be more fruitful. I want to be able to be pliable and bend. A.W. Tozer says this, we must allow the Word of God to correct us the same way we allow it to encourage us. I've been working on teaching my kids how to hit a baseball. And if all I did was say, just keep swinging, just keep swinging, boy, just keep swinging, and they keep whiffing. a girl, just keep swinging. That's, that's good. But if I don't take the time to say, we have to address your stance here a little bit. Your grip is a little funny. We need to change your grip. Your shoulder's dropping. And they may go, Daddy, that feels weird. How's it, how's it feel to be whiffing the ball? <laughs> I promise you, kids, when you start connecting with that baseball, it's not going to feel weird. But it takes some time and some correction to change your stance and your grip for the things of the Lord. Are we open to, that, to his correction? Back to the big picture of the Babylonian story. If we pull back a little bit. They made it back to Jerusalem, just as God had promised, 70 years later. They made it back. and it, They made it back home, but it didn't feel like home. They were still under the same rulers, the oppressive rulers. Smyrna, if we're back to our story, it was still destroyed. It was still a mess. The temple was destroyed and needed to be rebuilt over time. They were home, but it didn't feel like home. What was this promise, Lord, about a hope and a future? What was that all about? 
I believe God was saying, wherever you go, if you're with me, you have a hope and a future. And that's a a temporal thing, a short-term thing, yes. I think he was planting seeds in the story of the Bible of a of a future, of an eternal hope, an eternal prosperity that ends up coming through Jesus Christ. We study Scripture. It's fun to study Scripture and see things and to see patterns. And there are themes in Scripture. And one of the great themes from the beginning to end of Scripture is this theme of exile. And we see it from the very beginning, very beginning to the book. Adam and Eve, rooted in a beautiful, perfect garden. God is walking with them and talking with them. He says, now there's a tree over here. Just just don't eat from that tree. Things are going to change if if you decide to do that. They chose to eat from that tree, and they were banished. They were exiled from the garden. We see more stories throughout Scripture of people groups exiled. Searching for the promised land, exiled. Individuals sent away, exiled. And that applies, how does this apply to us? It does apply to us, the story of the Bible. For, uh, Peter references this. He references us, children of God, as exiles. It's a big picture kind of a thing. He references us as exiles and foreigners. Let me show you. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, other scripture will say, citizens of heaven. And and look at while we read this, how it mirrors, how it's similar to what God, through Jeremiah, told the people that were living in Babylon. I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and they will glorify God on the day that he visits us. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Brothers and sisters, we're exiles. We're not home yet. We're heading there. Praise God. We're still on the red part of the rope that Kevin spoke about a few weeks back. Our dear sister Margaret is on the white part of the rope, absent from the body, present with the Lord for eternity. If you're hearing my voice this morning, we're still on the red part of the rope. We're exiles. We're citizens of heaven. How do we walk this out? The same way that we walk it out as the Babylonians or the the Jews in Babylon were told to walk it out. Same way here. There's a song uh, one of my favorite Christian artists, Stephen Curtis Chapman, wrote called Not Home Yet. You can look it up later. It's a great tune. It talks about us being pilgrims, sojourners on on a journey. We're not home yet. And in the bridge, he says, so let us not grow weary or too content to stay. I love that line. Let us not grow weary that we're not there yet. We're heading there. Yes, Lord, come quickly. But let's not grow so weary that we're not there yet and let us not grow so content that we want to stay here. We're not home yet. Wherever you've been planted, 
physically, geographically. If you're going through a season that's rough, if you're going through a season that's fruitful, beautiful, wherever you're planted right now, I encourage you to continue to be rooted in Him at all times. Be rooted in His Word. Be rooted in His goodness. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overwhelming with thankfulness.